the uh, epistle that P Peter gave us um, that I want to share with you some things that the Lord just kind of quickened in my heart through my personal study and devotions this week. And many times as a pastor, I come here with a very direct word. I do not come here today with a very direct word. I'm coming waiting for the Lord to quicken that direct word because it's more important that we hear what the Spirit says than what pastor says. Now, I want to take a moment to prelude this. I am so grateful for church and grateful for you, grateful for your life, uh, observing how so many of you literally build your entire life around our fellowship, that, that your family and, and, and is just so integrated into the live stream of this church family. And, and so anything that I say that can be deemed negative uh, whatsoever is not born from a spirit of criticism. I think you have to guard yourself as a person from being critical, but rather from, a, from, from somebody that wants to hold the church delicately because it's my family and, and you're my family. And, and, and I, I, I love our moments together. I can honestly say this. I don't like everything that I see that's going on in the changing climate of the church in the United States. And I'm not saying that again. I'm not here with a judgmental, critical spirit. But, but there's such a sweeping change. You know, in our culture today, it's, it's more, uh, in, people, people expect a popularity contest through the church. Um, they, they, they want preachers to look a certain way. They, you know, in days gone by, it, it, you, you couldn't have the anointing unless you wore a, a blue suit and a red tie. And now today, in today's time, if you do wear a blue suit and a red tie, you can't have the anointing. Because you've got to have blue jeans on that got tears in the knees and, and, and uh, a T-shirt and chains and all that. And that's fine. The way I feel like is right here. I don't care what you look like. It's just do you have the anointing of God on your life? And, and so I don't, I don't like this little, you know, prejudged, you know, cookie-cutter mentality. And, and, and sometimes when you think about the sermon series that, that you can kind of scroll, you can go visit almost any church that's got a website and you can view uh, many of the, uh, the sermon series. And oftentimes the sermon series, you know, you know they, they sound, they have such a cliche to them. They're, they're, they're marketed. Uh, they have a team that market those, ide those ideas. And, I mean, and, and it's just, you know, you know, cutting edge and all that. But then when you listen to the Word, you start asking yourself, where is the doctrinal content? Come on, where is something that pierces? I believe that I read the Bible as a sharp two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thought and the intent of our heart. You know, in sermons today, uh, in, in many of the modern churches today, have to be so, um, so glazed over in a way not to offend anyone at all. You think that offense that you read, think about in the political world and the political climate where everybody, you know, it takes an edge about being offended, that's bled over into the church. Don't think for a moment that it's not, that, that pastors uh, find themselves censored, not from the media, but from their own congregations at times. They don't have the courage any, many times to just break through. And, and, and I just want you to know there's, a, there, there's an element to, to preaching that does not always pacify. Right? There's an element to preaching. Paul told this. He, said, he told Timothy, he said, preach the word in season and out of season. When it feels right, preach it. But when it don't feel right, preach it anyhow. 
Come on, when they receive it, preach it. But when they don't receive it, keep on preaching it. Declare the truth. The truth of God must be declared even in a generation that has chosen to reject it. And I want to encourage you today that, you know, you're a part of a remnant. You know what a remnant is? It means it's a leftover piece. It's a remnant that believes in the, uh, the authenticity of the Word of God, the, uh, the inerrancy of the Word of God. You know, I believe this is God's gift to us, the Scriptures, that God's revealed Himself unto us through His Son, Jesus Christ. I preached to you last Sunday from Hebrews chapter number 1, and I want to kind of go back and let that be a lead-in before we begin to read in Peter's epistle. Because in that passage of Scripture, it said, God at sundry times, King James English, and diverse manners, spaken to us or to the fathers by the prophets. In essence, he said, in days gone by, God spoke through the prophets. But he says, in these last days, he has spoken unto us by his Son. And God speaks to us by his Son, and his Son speaks through the Word of God. When you read the Word of God, you're hearing from Jesus. John said, our eyes have seen, our hands have handled the word of life. And when you handle the word of life, you're handling Christ. I believe that Christ is synonymous with his word. Do you believe that today? 1 John 5 says that there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. And these three agree in one. And so when I, I believe that when we read this word, that there is a life-changing effect that comes into our hearts and lives as the nature of Christ is being formed in us as we both read the Word of God, but also as we listen to it and hear to it and hear it. And you're here today to hear the Word of God. And I'd like for us to just kind of just glean for just a little bit. There's a couple things that I want to get to right away. But the Apostle Peter, who declares himself in the first chapter, the first verse, as a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is in 2 Peter chapter number 1, and it says, Grace and peace be multiplied. No, 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 back up to, he's writing, and look who he's writing to. He's writing to these that have obtained a like precious faith with us. And so it's not being written to Jews exclusively. It's not being written to Gentiles exclusively. And it's not being written exclusively to the people of that generation. Peter is writing prophetically to all men everywhere that have what? A common bond. What is this common bond? A precious faith. A like, a similar faith that has united us together in one family of believers, the body of Christ. We're knit together today and we're brought into this faith because of what? Because of Jesus Christ. We have faith in Jesus. It's a precious faith. And so he speaks the salutation over them. And that is grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Here he says, and this is what began this, the process of drawing my attention uh, to this epistle this week. There's certainly another passage that I want to get to in just a moment as I just draw some excerpts from. But in this third verse here, he says, according as his divine power, notice this, has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and, and virtue. Let me tell you, ignorance is not an excuse in the kingdom of God. Ignorance is simply a lack of knowledge. And ignorance can be corrected on your part. Any of us can, can correct ignorance by becoming a student of God's Word. You may say, well, Pastor, I don't understand. Well, I, you know what? I, I challenge that today. I believe God has given it to us in such a way and a means that, yes, you can understand it. If you set your heart diligently enough to understand the Word of God, Right? There are a lot of things that you can do. A lot of people say, well, I can't understand the Word of God. Well, they run very specialized equipment. 
on their job or why they're computer specialists or why they were athletes that they put in front of them when they're on a football team, a playbook that was this thick that had 1,700 offensive and defensive plays and schemes that they had to know. Let me tell you, you can know the Word of God if you set your heart to know the Word of God because notice this. He said that this happens through us through the knowledge of Him. And through this, fourth verse, he said, we're giving something very special from God. What is it? Exceeding great and precious promises. We have precious promises. God's given you things that you will never unlock if you don't have a knowledge of the Word of God. It will be treasure that's stored in the container of His Word that's waiting on you by knowledge to unlock the virtue of those promises. And they're exceeding precious promises. I believe those precious promises have to do with our eternal life in Christ Jesus, number one, which is the greatest of all gifts. Can I say that today? The greatest of all promises is not that God's going to bless you financially or God's going to bless your marriage or that God's going to prosper you on the job. That's not the greatest of all promises. The greatest of all promises is that if you put your faith and trust in Christ, he'll send his spirit into your heart and you'll be made alive to God and eternal life will abide on the inside of you. And the reason why that's an exceeding great and precious promise is because everything else is fading. Everything else is passing away. Everything is like the leaf on the tree or the grass in the field. It is fading away. But let me tell you, God's eternal spirit dwelling on the inside of you will never pass away. It will never pass away, and you need to recognize that. And then beyond that, beyond, even as it's hard for us to fathom that there's something beyond that, and that it's God in His sovereign grace still gives us precious promises as it relates to our lives. I just feel like doing this, and I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to. I believe in the promises of the Word of God. And that when God puts one in your heart and you believe it and you stand on it and you speak it and you declare it by faith. Did y'all see that handsome young man that stood right here in front of us a while ago? That stands six foot two and weighs 200 pounds and is a solid machine. And he does get that after me. He is solid muscle. And I know that's surprising to many of you. But what you didn't see was 22 years ago when he was about this long and he was laying on a table in an intensive care unit for 21 days and his legs were the size of my finger. That's what you weren't there to see. But God gave me a promise from the word. And by faith, I unlocked that promise. That promise was, was Luke 2 and 40. And when, when Cherry and I experienced that moment with Austin because that was our first experience of he was our fourth child but the first one of three consecutive that were born early it had to be in intensive care uh they were born prematurely and so we were just like any parent that's out here we were distraught but we found a a friend in Jesus and where was that friend I found him in his word and I found a passage of scripture that was written about Jesus but God quickened it to me by the Holy Spirit And it was in Luke 2 and 40, and it said these words, And the child grew, became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And so for the next 21 days when I went to that hospital, and I had to lay my hand through that glass, I spoke Luke 2 and 40 because I had an exceeding precious promise that wasn't just written on the tablet of the Word of God. It had been written on the fleshly tablet of my heart. 
and I declared it by faith. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let me tell you today, church family, God didn't just leave a promise in his word for me. He's left a promise in his word for each of us. But if you don't grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, all of his precious promises will lay dormant, awaiting for you to exercise faith and unlock those promises and to trust that God is able to watch over his word. That when God gives you a promise, let me tell you, that promise can lay dormant year after year after year until the time appointed by the Father. And when the time appointed by the Father, there's nothing in this side of eternity, on this side of eternity, no demon, no devil, no principality, no power, no government, nothing anywhere that can separate you from receiving that promise if you believe it and you are prepared to receive it. And I want to challenge you in this passage. It says that there are, the, there are exceeding and precious promises. And these promises affect every area of our lives. And they create within us the divine nature of God. And church family, if I could say anything to you today, I want you to see yourself differently. See yourself through the lens of God. You are so distinct from the world. The person that you work with every day that stands at your side, you may be at a factory. I've worked in a factory in days gone by, and I know what it's like to work on the assembly line, have one person on one side and one person on the other side. But let me tell you, there is such a distinction in you if the person beside you does not know Jesus because you've escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust, and you have been a participant of the divine nature. And the blood of Jesus Christ flows through your veins. And you're a child of the Most High God. And I know sometimes we say things like this, that we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. Well, I know I understand the context of why we're saying that. But let me tell you, if you're a sinner, then you're still needing saving. And once you get saved, you're no longer a sinner. I'm going to go ahead and say it again. If you're a sinner, then you're still in need of saving. But if you've been saved, you're no longer a sinner. You're a child of God. Right, you've escaped the world and the corruption that's in the world through lust. Paul said it this way, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away and all things are made new, right? And he dwells on the inside of you and you're now a son or a daughter of God. And so that's a promise that's given to us because you now have been made a partaker of his divine nature. Did you know? One of the greatest ways to determine your relationship and your communion with the Father is just simply by your expressions to God. Let me explain that. If he is still to you, the big man upstairs, then I'm not sure you know him. Even if he's still just God, then I'm not sure that you know him. Because when God sends his spirit into your heart, there's an intimacy that is immediately created and you know him more than, is, than just a distant deity, but you know him as father. Did you know that if you search the scriptures, you will hardly ever see Jesus reference God in the first person as God, but always as father. And so can you. And so should you when you receive the Spirit. And that's what Paul, or excuse me, Peter is saying. You are made a partaker of his divine nature and you are so distinct from the world. I'm telling you, there's something about handling yourself differently. When you know that God is your Father, 
it should stir you to want to be different, want to walk different, want to talk different, and want to act different, and to live life differently, to live your life to give God glory in everything that you do. And I love what Peter says here. I want to go down just a little farther. Y'all stay with me for a little while. The, today's message is simply it's the beginning of just kind of gleaning through Second Peter. And he said here, uh, he says, besides this. So now Peter says, so, so besides this, besides what? He said, uh, besides this precious faith that you possess, he said, giving all diligence, add something to your faith, virtue. Virtue means excellence, moral excellence. You know, one of the things that's a challenge in our culture today, we have a lot of people that profess faith in Christ, but do not live a morally excellent life. Hello? When I'm going to say this very respectfully, and this is not, remember, I started this message by saying this is not born out of a critical spirit. I don't believe in uh, standing in front of the church family with the with evil critical spirit. God judges that. But I want to challenge you in the name of Jesus that if you are genuinely a partaker of his divine nature, there is a spirit of excellence that is on the inside of you that needs to be allowed to live its way out through your life, everyday life and lifestyle, where you become totally distinct in who you are, what you are, what you say, the places you go, the things that you listen to. But unfortunately, many profess faith in Christ and they never move into a changed lifestyle. Never move into a lifestyle that looks anything together different from the world. The only thing that they have hold, they're holding to is a get-out-of-hell-free card. That's not the will of God for us. God's will for us is to grow, to add to our faith, to not just have simple childlike faith in God, but to grow and to develop this faith. And that's the thing, I want to say this very carefully, if I have any measure of criticism in love towards the church in America today, it just seems that we just want to pacify people and we want to, uh, we want to create such a pillow-like uh, effect in church where you're just so comfortable and the temperature's got to be just right, the song's got to be just right, the light's got to be just right, the attire's got to be just right, because if you get distracted whatsoever, then you're just going to kind of check out and slip out of here. That's a shame uh, that the church of God is that way. That we don't come to this house saying, God, I want to add to my faith. I came to this house because I want to grow in grace. I want to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm infatuated with the old rugged cross. It's the emblem of suffering and shame. It was there on that old cross. Come on, somebody. We're the dearest and the best. He died and he bled for you and I. On the cross of Calvary, we're infatuated with him. And being infatuated with his death, we present ourselves unto him a living sacrifice and say, God, live your life now through me. May the Spirit of God abide in me and may my life reflect who you are. When we were at that commissioning ceremony on Friday, and if you're new here, I, I don't bring my kids to the pulpit all the time. I am a proud dad, but I, I don't make my sermons always referencing this, but I'm going to use an analogy. Both Austin's commanding officer and his immediate NCO isolated me and Sherry for the purpose of looking at us in the eye and saying, there's a reason why he's the young man that he is. It's because of what y'all have invested in him. And so he was able to reflect our values. Let me tell you this right here. We have a father in heaven 
that I want to reflect his values. I want to walk before people in love even when I'm agitated. Even when I'm frustrated and sometimes when I don't even know what to do. Listen, in today's mixed up society and culture and there's conflicts and statues being torn down and, and there's picketing and protest and liberal and conservative and, 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 and all these things that are going on and there's, sometimes you don't even know what to do. I'll tell you what, the Apostle Paul said, I'll tell you what to do. When you've done all you know to do, just stand. Come on, stand. Stand strong in the Lord. Be faithful in who God is. Hello? Right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. Right? He'll make you the person God's called you to be. So notice this. Peter goes on to say, he said, you got to add some things to your faith. And what are the things? Add this, this moral excellence. And then beyond that, add not only moral excellence, but also add knowledge. And knowledge has already been mentioned, but that's when we begin to set our hearts to study and to read. And I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you. in the, Don't be offended by sound doctrine. Don't be offended by men and women taking the time to speak the Word of God and not just speak fables. If I were to jump ahead in this passage in the, for the sake of time, I'm going to have to. But Peter actually said this. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you His majesty. He said, but we were eyewitnesses. Peter said, we are not telling you some story uh, that, that can be read to children that was made up in the imaginations of men. But Peter said, we were there with him. We were there with him for three and a half years. We were there when he walked along the Galilean Sea. But we also were there when he walked across the Galilean Sea. We were there when he stood in front of those that were possessed by demons. And when they had treated them for years and unable to bring any type of deliverance to them. But he opened his mouth and he spoke to the devils. And the devil's assignment were broken. And children and families were healed and restored. We were there when their eyes that were blind and they hadn't seen for 39 years. But he just simply laid his hands on their eyes and then they saw with perfect sight we were there when he put his thumb in the ears of those that were deaf and unstopped their ears and they could hear we were there outside of Bethany's burial chamber when he called Lazarus four days dead from the grave and Lazarus came out wrapped hand and clothes head and foot with grave clothes and he come bouncing out of the grave because the resurrection and the life called him out we were there he said, we were there when they nailed him to the tree, when they drove, uh, then they drove iron uh, between his hand and his wrist, uh, when they put a, a crown of thorns on his brow, when a Roman soldier took a spear and split his side open and blood and water flowed out. I was there at the base of the cross, Peter said. And then Peter would say this, or Peter was, uh, was writing this in his words, in the context of his words. I was there when I ran to the sepulcher that day. I was a little slower. John outran me. John looked in. And he said, John went in, and I stood outside wondering. And then I saw and I heard from the angel that he is risen. I was there, and this is not a made-up story. So Peter said, you need to listen and give all diligence to what I'm telling you. Add to your faith. Don't just live as a, as a weak Christian all your life. Hot one day for God, on fire for God, dancing, rejoicing, volunteering, and then disappear, gone. Pull back into, if you read this epistle later, and we'll talk about it in days, weeks ahead. He said, the sow that was washed has returned to wallowing in the mire. Delivered from drugs one day, back on drugs the next. Come on, enough is enough. I came, you know what, I tell you, I'm so proud of our church family of an inclusion to help men and women that are facing 
life-controlling substances. It's an epidemic in our culture. And we need churches to be sympathetic, compassionate, loving, uh, affirming, prepared to reach out. But the one thing that we don't need is we don't need them to look them in the eye and say, you're going to always be an alcoholic, but we need them to look them in the eye. You're always going to be a drug addict. No, I'm not going to tell anybody that. I'm going to look them in the eye and I'm going to say, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the power of the risen Christ on the inside of you is greater than any addiction that you've ever known. That's what I'm going to tell them. I'm not going to tell them that they're always going to be controlled to that desire to go back to the drug world. I'm going to tell them, no, by Christ Jesus, you can mortify that desire. You can put it to death every day in your life, and you can get up victorious through the power of Jesus Christ. If you'll add to your faith virtue and to virtue's knowledge, and once you begin to grow in the knowledge of God, you begin to discover who you are in Christ Jesus, but not also who you are in Christ Jesus, but also who Christ is in you. Come on, that's a good word right there, church family. So we got just a little bit farther. You think to yourselves, Pastor, are you preaching all 60 verses of this? But not this morning. Add to your faith virtue and add to virtue knowledge. Add to knowledge temperance, which means self-control, right? And to temperance, patience. Oh, my gosh, what a terrible time for you to check out right there. Hello? Right? I had to pray this yesterday in my own life. I said, Father, I had to calm myself when I was getting agitated and frustrated and anxious and anxiety. I remembered that the patience of God was a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I had to pray that God would work that in my life and so need you as well. Is that right? And so you pray this and then also look at this. And then godliness. Godliness is a life that, that reflects the grace of God in our lives. And through this godliness, we also display brotherly kindness. And we show brotherly kindness one to the other. Right? Brotherly kindness to each other. To reach out a hand. To care for somebody. Show compassion where? First in the house of God. Right? Where does our compassion begin? Where does our charity begin? It begins in the house of God. And then it carries over into the community. Is that right? To where brotherly kindness then evolves into charity, which is love. And we exhibit that love to the community around us. And then look at this, the eighth verse. If these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But look at this. So the apostle is saying here that if these things are in you, then you're abounding and you're not barren, but you're being fruitful to God. That means if you're fruitful to God, that means other people can see the discernible attributes of Christ in your life. People are able to see and to note that there's a distinction. They're drawn. One of two things is going to happen to you when you really get fruitful for Christ. Some are going to be drawn to you and some are going to be offended by you. And you've got to be able to handle both. Hello? Because that's what Christ does. Paul said this, Christ is the fragrance of life and he's the fragrance of death. He said to those that are saved, he's the fragrance of life. So Christ in you is the fragrance of life to other people that are saved. But to some people, he's the fragrance of death. And your presence in their life is a reminder of their sinfulness. And they're either going to do one of two things. They're either going to be led little by little to the convicting, saving power of the gospel of Christ that's being exhibited in your life on a regular basis, or they're going to be repulsed and they're going to be pushing away. 
And you've got to be mature enough to know the distinction and recognize it and not lose your compassion for them in the midst. And that's what this work of grace does in our heart and life here. He said, if you lack these things, you're blind, you cannot see afar off, and you have forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. Now listen to this, and part of the reason why I preach this message. He said, brethren, give diligence. Give diligence. Take this stuff serious. If I can have any frustration today, and I'm trying my best not to preach out of frustration and rather inspiration, but I get frustrated when people don't take their own faith serious when they don't take the development of their faith serious why isn't this the most important thing that we have is our faith isn't that more important than anything we'll say pastor no my family no i believe i love your faith y'all see how much i love my family and and i and i thank god for them but i tell you what i don't hinge my faith upon my family jesus said if you love father or mother more than me you don't love me well i'm a sold out to jesus right and so I want to challenge you in this today, uh, church family, in this context. He said, take your faith serious. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I know some of you are already judging me. Oh, preacher, critical. He's trying. No, I'm just reading to you the word of God. Amen. I didn't write this. I was not there on the Galilean Sea when Jesus came walking across the water. I wasn't in the boat. I didn't step out of the boat and walk halfway and then sink in the swirling waters. But Peter did. And Peter wrote this epistle. And you know who he wrote it to? To all those who possess a like precious faith. Who is that? That's us. And with this, look what he said. Let's go a bit farther. In the 10th verse, he said, Brethren, give diligence. Give diligence. Make sure that you don't let these things slip. And if you do these things, look at this. What did it say at the end? You shall never fall. Is that arrogance or is that confidence? I mean, you know, there's a fine line of difference. But I'll tell you what, when it's confidence, then you know in whom you believed. And you're walking in confidence before the Lord, trusting that he's working in you on a daily basis. Let's go just a little bit further before we conclude here today. This was the start of a new series of getting in to 2 Peter because there's some great things that I want to talk about in the days ahead. Look at this further with me. For an entrance is ministered to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be neg negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. I have to say, I think the church has, at time, grown negligent. We're negligent of challenging people with the truth of the Scriptures. Only you, only you can do due diligence to your own faith. I can stand from afar, I can watch, and I can observe. I can look, I can try to encourage but I can't do true spiritual inventory. You've got to make your own calling and election sure. Isn't that what he said? And he said, I will always put you in remembrance of these things, though you used to know them. And here Peter shares a little bit of his own life. He said, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, he said, I'm going to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And he was at the edge, the 14th verse of his death. It wouldn't be long before they would come and they would take the apostle Peter and they would crucify him upside down at his request 
The Romans were going to crucify him, and he requested not to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus because he said he was not worthy. And he knew that his days were numbered, but here's what he said. Listen, listen, I'm closing right now. He said, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, he said, I'm going to stir you up. I'm going to stir you up and put you in remembrance. You know what? These things matter, church family. Don't they matter? It matters. Your faith matters. should be the most important thing that you have set as a precedence in your life that you're going to give all diligence to make sure there is a growth and a maturation in your faith before God. How many believe that by being here today, by being here, even though pastor preached a little bit with the edge, it helps. Strengthens us. Knits our hearts together. How many believe that having interaction and fellowship in a local body is an important thing in your life? Right? The Bible exhorts us to hold one another accountable. Is that right? Right? That in our absence, in our absence, then we have one another to hold each other accountable. So I encourage you today... In the name of the Lord Jesus, the Apostle Peter gives us an epistle, by his, perhaps by his own pen, but certainly as the Spirit of the Lord quickened the word in his heart, that we have a like precious faith that's knit us together and brought us into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it, with it, we, it comes a great responsibility to give due diligence to make sure that we're growing in faith. Is that right? Daryl, join me on the platform. And as Brother Daryl comes up, let me ask you this, church family. Is your heart really set on God in the sense of are you giving due diligence to your faith? I think that's a valid question. I think that's a fair question to ask our church family this morning. Are you making sure that you don't stumble, that you don't get sidelined? Here's what the apostle Paul said. Paul said, he said, I discipline my body lest I preach to others and I myself become a castaway. Paul said, I don't want to become hypocritical in this. I don't want to tell you about how to live a godly life in Christ while I fall prey to the lusts and the temptations of the flesh. I stood in front of you this morning for about 40 minutes that you've given me. And I've not told you great stories, and I've not quoted from other authors other than biblical authors for the singular purpose of stirring you up by the way of remembrance. That God wants spiritual growth in your life. Add to your faith virtue. Hello? Add to virtue knowledge. Add to knowledge temperance. Add to temperance patience. Add to patience brotherly kindness. Hello? Add to brotherly kindness love. God will not sit idly by and let us sit there and waste ourselves away without spiritual growth, without challenging us. In the name of the Lord. I'm telling you, I believe in my heart of hearts, God wants your life to be so fruitful, so full of the love of God, so full of the grace of God. I'm telling you, I believe in living life with a smile on your face. Come on. When you know these things, it puts a smile on your face. When God's given you an exceeding precious promise, you know what? If you were on this stage and God had unlocked an exceeding precious promise in your life, you know what you'd do? You'd jump up and down like I do. You would dance. You would run. You would rejoice because you have seen the handiwork of God. And you would rejoice in all that he's done in your life. 
until you wouldn't have a sour disposition. Come on. Right? And you would live life with an expectation that God, the greatest thing that I want out of life is to be pleasing to you. And all that I am, in the area of my conduct, in the area of my character, I want to handle myself differently. I don't want to give the enemy a stronghold. I want to be diligent. Right? I want to be diligent with who I am, with what I am, with what I say. When's the last time you prayed Psalms 19? Where David said, Lord, let the meditation of my heart and the words of my lips be acceptable unto thee, O Lord, my Redeemer. When's the last time that you prayed, God, I forgive that I might be forgiven? When's the last time that you prayed and said, God, let my thoughts be upon that which is just and holy and pure and that's of a good report and that's of virtue, things that God produced life in me? When's the last time? I want to challenge you today. Be diligent. Be diligent as a believer in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense here today? Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Father, I stood on this platform in front of a church family, not sure. God, just, just being honest, just standing in front of them today, knowing that I was being directed to Second Peter, but God, in my heart, I was wanting to hasten to the second chapter and the third chapter, but I found your spirit just pointing me to start this process. God, to start this process of, of unlocking this epistle, Father God, by just going to the first chapter and to just marveling at Peter's exhortation to us today. And God, I'm so grateful, Father, for uh, Apostle Peter's pen and what he shared with me because it has stirred my own heart to be diligent, to make sure that I'm not allowing the culture or the world or the flesh or the devil to cause me to stumble. But Peter said, if I do these things, I shall never fall. I'll walk in faith because Christ is working in me by his Holy Spirit. You're here today, and I preached with a zeal, a sincere zeal. Hopefully you didn't receive and discern uh, anything critical or judgmental or accusational because that's not my heart whatsoever. If it means that I need to be a little bit fervent and a little bit forceful to awaken you to something, then I will. But there's no, there's no criticism in my heart other than I just want the best for you and for who you are. If you're here, first of all, today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your true Savior, let me tell you, don't wait another day. Don't wait another moment. I can remember in years gone by when I was a young man, I can remember preachers of old, they would say things like this at the altar call. They'd say, you know, no man's promised tomorrow. And you know what? You know how true that is? Don't, don't come to church uh, as, a, as a visitor and, and the altar call be given and the opportunity for you to make uh, faith in Christ and you say, you know what? Not at this time, maybe at a later time. Let me tell you, sir, let me tell you, man, there's one thing you don't know and that is you don't know about tomorrow. You know about yesterday, but you don't know about tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. That, that, that proverb by the old preachers was true. Life is delicate Life is precious. So seize the moment that's in front of you right now. If you want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, if you've never done so, and you'd like for me to pray with you right here, right where you're at, then I want you to have the courage to slip your hand up. Nobody's looking around. It's just between you and I here today. 
Is there anyone under the sound of my voice? I'm looking from left to right, just waiting. If there's anybody that will slip their hand up, I'll pray with you today. It's who you are. I want to I give you that opportunity. Number two here today, be honest with me today. Be honest. Say, Pastor, I have precious faith in Christ, but I haven't been diligent. I haven't been diligent to make sure that there's a spiritual growth and a maturation of my faith. I haven't been progressively adding to my faith the things that has been spoken about in the Word of God this morning. And today I felt a sense of conviction, not condemnation, to become diligent to make sure that those things abide inside me, that I can bring glory to my Father. And Pastor, I just want you to pray with me that I'll give all diligence to these things. If that's you, slip your hand up. Nobody's looking around, just me and you. Thank you. Hands have gone up all across the sanctuary. And I'm so grateful for your openness here today. I want to ask everyone under the sound of my voice to stand up with me today, and we're going to pray. I'm so appreciative of you being here. What time is our service tonight? Who's going to be here with us? Floyd McDonald. Who else is going to be here? You are going to be here. You are. Let's pray. Father, I'm so humbled by thy word today. And I'm humbled by your presence. I'm humbled, God, by the Apostle Peter's exhortation that he wrote from a personal experience as a man that walked with Jesus. A man whose life was changed because of the communion and the fellowship that he experienced with your son. And God, today, a moment ago, as observed only by my eyes and your eyes, were hands lifted up all across this building. Not five hands, ten hands, but 20 plus people among us said, Pastor, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me that I would give due diligence to add to my faith the attributes that have been recorded by the apostle that God's looking for in my life and that I will be found guilty of becoming much more diligent in my life in nurturing the grace of God. Father, for every person that raised their hand, I pray for them today. Would y'all pray with me, church family? God, I pray for them today. Lord, help them in their devotions. Help them in their commitment. Help them, Father God, today to hear your voice and to know your perfect will. To walk by faith. God, to receive something of virtue and value. God, to receive something, Father, in the name of Jesus, where the Holy Spirit moves in their life in a powerful way. Father, they know that they're developing a faith that can withstand temptation and trial. They know that they're being drawn to who you are, Father God, and the grace that you've given them. And they're not, Father, here today and gone tomorrow, hot today, cold tomorrow. They're not up today and down tomorrow, but there's a consistency in their faith that begins to develop because they're giving due diligence, not negligence, but diligence to add to their faith. And I pray that in my own life as well, God. I don't want to preach to others and myself become a castaway. Help me to show greater devotion. Help me in my own life to show greater sensitivity to times of prayer. Father God, and to set my heart pliable before yours where you can mold it and shape it, where I judge my own attitudes and actions. And when the Holy Spirit brings conviction to my heart because of sin in my life, that I'll readily repent 
and respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that not just for me, but for all those that lifted their hands just a moment ago. And my last and closing prayer today, Father, for our church family, is that they would discover in their journey. Listen, listen very carefully. Don't don't miss this. Please don't miss this. That as you grow, God's going to unlock those exceeding precious promises to you. And your eyes are going to be enlightened. And you're going to know that with God all things are possible. Come on, somebody. And you're going to begin to realize that his word will not fail. And if God promises it, he will bring it to pass. So, God, I'm so grateful for every person here today. I feel a very special, sweet kindness of heaven and the kiss of your Holy Spirit on our service today. I believe you're doing a very special work in the hearts of those that are listening today. And that, God, that in the weeks and the months ahead, we're going to hear testimony of those that were right at a tipping point in their life when they could go back to the world, pulled back to a life and a lifestyle of disobedience and dishonoring God. But this message tipped them in the other direction. And they began to add due diligence to their faith. And they began to add to their faith divine attributes of grace. So God, I'm so grateful. Father, for your word today, it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Thank you for being in service with us today. May God richly bless you and your family. Service is at 6 p.m. tonight. Reverend Floyd McDonald, I certainly hope to see you and your family here. God bless you today.